Welcome to Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson, the podcast where we head down the road of the supernatural and beyond. So sit back and hold on as we take a ride together to what lies in the unknown and beyond the veil. Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson presents guest host, Jungian psychoanalyst and author, Robert Bosner. Robert has been a Zurich-trained Jungian psychoanalyst for over 40 years and pioneered the embodied imagination, the I, method. He is the author of several books, nonfiction and fiction. He is past president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams and founder of the Santa Barbara Healing Sanctuary. He organized a score of international conferences. The EI technique has been used as a rehearsal method by the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford-upon-Avon and the Bell Shakespeare Company in Sydney. He divides his life between Santa Barbara, California and Sydney, Australia. And now your host, Daniel Jackson, with Robert Bosner in Dreams, Reality Shifting, and Alchemy. Hello and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson. It's me. Your host, Daniel Jackson. And today we have on the show Robert Bosnak. He is an alchemist, more or less, right? Is that correct? Well, yes and no. So we can talk about that. Okay. Then we'll talk about that. So uh, you tell my audience, Robert, what it is that you do. All right. So um, my day job is that I'm a psychoanalyst and I'm specialized on dreaming and I am a fiction writer. And in my fiction writing career, um, I have just written a series of novels, a saga about alchemy, because I've been involved in alchemy for the last 50 years, studied it, and um, find it a very useful um, a very useful system of metaphors, ways to understand the world, ways to understand life, ways to understand change, because we're constantly going through change. We're constantly going through transformations. And alchemy is the study of transformation, transmutation. And so we're constantly going through that. And um, so I've just had uh, four novels come out this uh, spring Um they're at Amazon, and uh, we could talk about that. It's called Red Sulfur. So you've written four novels, and you put them all out all at once? Yes, because it's um, it's a saga. <clears throat> it's an ongoing saga. It's um, You could say it's like 17th century science fiction. It's never been done before, so it's very difficult to categorize it. It's based on... Um, research that I did in alchemy, where I found that in 1666... Um, there was a report of a transmutation from lead into gold that was verified by very um, reliable people. And so I studied that transmutation, and then I thought the only way I can write about this is in fiction, because then I can go deeply into it. And so I began to write, and uh, 10 years later, I finished it. And so um, it's the story about this transmutation process from lead into gold, which is also about um, uh, healing because alchemists were physicians. And I can tell you more about alchemy in general. And it's a, it's a love story. So it's a, it's a story how um, uh, there's a family of alchemists who are carrying the last of the philosopher's stone or the sorcerer's stone that many people may remember from Harry Potter. The, the philosopher's stone is the, the core of all creativity in the universe. The notion is that the universe was created by a force of extreme creativity and elements of that creativity still exist with us and the alchemist would 
extract them from matter because they say that at the core of matter, this creativity still exists. So they extracted creativity and thereby created um, something that could transmute um, base substances into um, special substances like silver and gold. And this is the story of the alchemist and how everybody's after them to get their their red sulfur to get their philosopher's stone to transform things into gold to make wars and um, and how they're being pursued by phantoms and it's a, it's a story that um, is at the beginning of uh, Western science which started in about the 17th century and the end of alchemy which ended in that same period but. It's a time when the great scientists were all alchemists, like Isaac Newton and Robert Boyle. They were all great alchemists. So it's a very tumultuous uh, period in the Western world and the Western mind. And um, I'm glad to see a cat behind you. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. He was in the room. Yeah. But he is cats, cats are very important in this whole field of... Um, what is called the supernatural. But sure. alchemy is not just the supernatural. Alchemy is actually about the natural world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I believe that as well, because, I mean, we we are able to use what we do have here to a lot of things to heal ourselves. And absolutely. There, it's just there is no possible uh, coincidence that these things are here. We we. We can't just sit around and just just do nothing. So we had to learn how to use everything that's that's at our uh, at our hands and yes. a lot at our feet uh, to find out what does and what does not work with us. So getting into uh, and also I'm sure with your story, even though you say it is a fictional book, uh, within a, with all any type of fiction, there's also always some kind of truth as well. Oh, God, yes, no, it's all, um, all the figures in it are historical figures. The alchemy that I use is historical alchemy. So, no, it's all based on um, a historical world, a world that really existed and is very important to us because we believe that the birth of science was the um, was incredible progress. Well, yes, it was progress. It made it possible for us to talk uh, like this. That is all science. But we also lost something. And I'm also interested in what we lost. We gained something and we lost something. And what, is it, what is it that you believe that we have lost? Um, what happened in the 17th century that my book is circling around um, is um, the birth of the notion of objectivity. Objectivity is that we are subject and everything else is object. And um, so thereby we could uh, create technology and, and science has mainly been very successful in technology. Um, we could create technology because we were going from the perspective of objectivity. What we lost was the perspective of participation. In yeah. alchemy, um, the notion is that the alchemist constantly participates in the life of, of her or his materials. To an alchemist, everything's alive. 
So the metals are alive and the metals for the alchemist are highly concentrated cosmic forces, highly concentrated creative forces out of which the alchemist had to extract um, the creative essence um, to make the philosopher's mm. stone. And um, uh, they did that by letting the metals self-manifest. So it is allowing the self-manifestation of nature instead of us working on nature, which created this incredible ecological disaster that we're now having, because the nature is object. We are subject and we can do anything to the object. But if we have a subject-to-subject relation to nature, we can't just um, uh, do a rampage on it because it's a, it's a subject. It's a thou. It's an other. And so um, this notion of nature as other and that we're constantly communicating with nature and nature's talking back, we've lost the, I think, the patience. We've lost sure. the patience to listen to nature. Yeah, we don't we don't pay attention to the world enough as it is. Uh, it's my belief one of the uh, one of the things we've lost in this world is the the true value in this world, which is ourselves, and we're trying to uh, trying to replace that with technology instead. Uh, but we but we have lost uh, the true value of of this world itself and and all the uh, everything in it within nature that could help us. We just we're trying to uh, to lean more towards technology than anything else because everybody wants everything right now uh, when they don't take the time to actually uh, to explore a little bit more. I mean, there are parts of this world that we have not have yet to explore, uh, even within like the rainforest or up in Antarctica. There are so much more that we could explore, but people seem to find that it's uh, uh, that, uh, you know, the big billionaires think it's more important to uh, Get on a rocket ship and go to a dead planet instead of uh, taking care of the planet we have here, which could help us even more. Let's not uh, underestimate the power of technology. You and I are talking yes. because technology exists. So yes, technology absolutely. has a great importance. It's just not the only thing. Yes, it's, and that's what I was just about to say. It's not the only. We shouldn't just rely on technology itself. We have so much more that we could. Uh, we, we could do beyond technology, but uh, these seems the, the younger generation is more fixated on the technology part and trying to improve that without and trying to prove our own self-being. Um, so well, I, 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 I disagree with that. I think that there are a lot of young people that are tremendously interested in other realities. Um, for instance, on TikTok, where I'm very active, on TikTok, there is a group of millions of young people who are very interested in other realities and how to access these other realities. There's an enormous interest. Let's not oh, underestimate sure. that. No, no, I'm not underestimating that. I just have a, uh, I have an issue with the whole, um, with with a lot of these, uh, what do they call the meta world, where they're trying to have a, a reality outside of, of our regular reality and trying to live in a pretend world more or less, more than we should be living in this constant world that is now instead of something. Yeah, I, I think that the metaverse is something uh, in between period. We're going right. to be living in a mixed world. The metaverse would right. be that it's all uh, technology around us and all virtuality, but that's just a period. We're going to I be hope. living in a, in a mixed world where uh, virtuality and actuality are 
interspersed. Uh, yes, I, I hope so, because I, I hope it just doesn't, we don't stay in that. But it, we no, don't we tend don't. to stay in any of these types of things. Correct, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we just, we get a little bit, we get a little bit mixed up. We get a little bit uh, uh, too far into something, and then it, it eventually learns to... Uh, well, I, I think I think that virtual reality is already something um, that is a little bit of the past because what we're, we're now exploring is mixed reality or augmented reality in which virtuality and actuality intermingle. I agree. I, yeah, and I hope it I hope it stays in that sense of it will. Uh, mm -hmm. of, of the exploration part of it, right? And not, and not just getting too focused on what we're doing right at that moment. Uh, so let me ask you some questions here. So you also said that you talk about uh, uh, you do some work as as well with dreams as well. Uh, can you uh, can you touch on that a little bit? Um, yes. Well, I've um, I've specialized um, been specialized on working with dreams for the last fifty years, and. Um, so I have worked probably between 40 and 50,000 dreams. And I, so I spent a lot of my life in the dream world through other people in their dream world. And I have found that, that the dream world, while we're dreaming, is a reality. And yep. you can enter that reality and re-enter that reality and um, become... Uh, become immersed in that reality again. And, and through my work, I've developed a flashback technique, a way that you can flashback into dreams and that they become environments again, because while dreaming, um, you are in a world that you experience as physical and as real and where you are convinced that you're awake. Um, that world we can get back to through flashback techniques. Flashback is something that happens naturally to people who have been traumatized. Once they're traumatized, they can suddenly naturally flash back to the event that traumatized them. Uh, we can artificially use that that memory, that, that um, flashback memory to flashback into dreams. And then suddenly the dream will reestablish itself as a reality around us again. And we can explore it and not just from our own perspective, but also from the perspective of other elements in the dream. You, because you, you can work a dream from your perspective, but also from the perspective of a dog over there and a house over there and a tree over there, because everything in a dream is imagination. So you can enter into any aspect, you can enter into any perspective, and thereby you get whole different ways of looking and, and experiencing and feeling it with your body. The technique that I've developed is called embodied imagination. You can feel it in your body, you can feel it throughout your body, but you can move out of your habits because what we are limited by is the habits of our consciousness. And what, what is really important is to break through the habits of consciousness. That's also what the book is about. We're trying to break through the habits of that we have of seeing the world a particular way because alchemy makes it possible to just... Yeah, my, my wife has very vivid dreams. Sometimes she she tells them to me, and when she wakes up for these dreams, she believes as though when she woke up, when she wakes up from it, she has to figure out that she's still here in this reality because 
when she's having the dream, she feels as though it's actually happening. It's yeah, a, well, it's it is actually life. happening. Yeah, no, it, is, it, actually it is actually happening. Yeah, it is because our brain cannot distinguish between dreaming and waking. Our dr right. brain cannot distinguish between image and physical reality. So, in a dream, you are in a real world. She is in a real world. Whenever she's dreaming, she's in a completely real world. It's just another reality than the reality she wakes up into. And the problem is that she wakes up into a reality of Western culture and the reality of Western culture says, oh, it's only a dream. And so it immediately denigrates dreaming and sees it as a lesser reality than waking reality, which, of course, it isn't. Right. Yeah, she, uh, she'll tell me about the dream. And it's like every time she has the, these uh, vivid dreams, the next part of it's just each dream is a next part of that other dream that she had. It's just a continuation from one oh. to the next. She's mm -hmm. going from one place, and then the, then the next night she she has a dream, and it's a continuation from the last dream, and it's just another place that she's being. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, and it's very very vivid. Uh, she tells me about. Mm -hmm. the, I mean, I have dreams, but uh, but her dreams. It's a whole complete story. It takes her 45 minutes just to tell the story of, of mm -hmm. everything that happened to her. I, I find it really amazing that she's able to do that, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure other people are as well. My dreams are just kind of uh, – my dreams happened, and I have I have these one same dreams over and over and over again. It involves one place. Yeah, uh, I much prefer those. I much prefer the, sh well, the short dreams, the, yeah. the dreams that have very little narrative – uh, they are the usual dreams. What your wife is experiencing is yeah. unusual. But the usual dreams are these little humdrum uh, uh, experiences. But when you go into them, you can go really far and really deep and get really profound insights. Yeah. I think uh, people don't place enough value on the dreams that we have uh, mm -hmm. because, they, again, we are, we are taught these are just dreams and this is not something that's actually going on. Well, it's also because um, the way that we look at dreams is we look at dreams as if they're just stories and then we look at it, the dream only from the perspective of the one who tells the story, the narrator. Right. Um, but dreams, of course, are much greater than what the narrator is saying. And um, the narrator is actually limiting the dream. So if you get out of the perspective of the narrator, like if your wife gets into the perspective of, for instance, one of the people that she meets in these realities, then she will suddenly see it from an inhabitant of that world instead of a visitor, and it will be a completely different dream. Right. So that, I think, is very important. Yeah, yeah. When she tells me about her dream, she tells me as though, uh, she is living in the place that she's at in those dreams. Yeah. She's not yeah. just, uh, but uh, but yeah, I, they are so vivid. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm only yeah. in those dreams sometimes, not all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's always off in some other parts of the country doing or or other countries doing whatever she's doing in there. And I think the reason why uh, I'm not in the dreams a lot of times is because. Uh, she knows that I don't get on airplanes and I don't fly. So if she's in another country, she knows I'm not going to be there. <laughs> yeah, but I think that she's very lucky to have all these adventures in her yeah, family. And, yeah, um, and what I was saying before, um, there is a whole group of, um, of young people who are doing this a lot 
they call it reality shifting. They move from one reality to another, the way that your wife does it through dreaming. And it's a long, continuous reality um, because the ordinary dreams are discontinuous. Ordinary dreams, something happens and then another scene happens and then another. That's the ordinary dream. But yeah, sometimes me. there's continuity. Yeah, that's me too. Um, sometimes there's continuity. And um, in this continuity, you can have continuity over long periods of time. It's rare, but it exists. Yeah, that's what that's the way her dreams are. Mine are just like one place. Well, that, that's yeah. That was why it was important for me to to put all my four books out at the same time sure. because it's an ongoing story. It's right, an ongoing continuity, and and yeah. where all the exciting things happen over a long arc. Now I'm reading something else here. Uh, I have an interest in this question. What are the similarities and differences between embodied imagination and magic? Um, the, the state of mind, the state of consciousness that is used in embodied imagination, or the state of consciousness in which I wrote this book, is called the hypnagogic state, in which you are in between waking and sleeping, and where you're already in the world of images. And so you can have these images surround you and um, you can feel them with your body and thereby as you work them, they will affect your body and they have enormous influence on health. And we've had uh, we've created the healing sanctuary where people through their dreams actually um, heal physical illnesses. Um, so it, it works directly on the body, but it doesn't try to make something happen in the physical world um, the way magic does. So it, um, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't use this access to um, this other world to make things change in this world. Um, uh, for instance, you can, uh, uh, through, um, in shamanism, uh, shamanism uses... Um, this world, this world that they have access to, this in-between world that is between the physical world and the mental world, there's a world in between, um, that in-between world they use for healing. That's not magic. But if you start using it to get power over somebody else, then that is magic. Sure. So it is the way that you use it. It's the same, but it's the way that you use it that's different. I had uh, this. Is, there's a. Uh, I have a little bit of a correlation with that. Uh, with uh, so I I had a dream one time, and I was I'm sleeping. I woke up. I remember the dream, and I walked into my wife's office, and I said this word. I I said, hey, I just had this really strange dream, and she said, what was it about? And I said, there was this woman who was in the dream, standing in a room with me, and she's we're sitting at a table. And she was waving her hand above the table, and there was a piece of paper on the table. And as she's waving her hand, the piece of paper was spinning around. And I and she said, really? I said, yeah. And I said, she kept saying this word, and I kept getting it all the time. She said, what's the word? I said, I kept hearing the word cantation, 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 cantation. I didn't know what it meant. I said, could you look it up and, and see what it means? She looked it up, and what she came up with was incantations, meaning magic so i said well that was kind of strange i guess that was that would uh 
explain what she was doing because she was waving her hand above this piece of paper and it was spinning around. And she said, oh, okay, yeah, it's, it's uh, using the mind for magic. And I said, all right. So at that point, because, I again, I just woke up, I still have pure thought going through my mind. I walked into the kitchen. I said, I'm hungry. I go into the kitchen. I opened the kitchen door uh, or, or opened the refrigerator door, and I saw a bowl of cherries sitting in the, in the refrigerator. And I just thought to myself, not even saying it out loud, but I just said to myself, I'd like to have some of those those cherries. And when I did that, Robert, at that moment, that bowl of cherries came sliding out of the refrigerator, and I caught it real fast. And I was like, how the heck did that just happen? How mm. did that just happen that it just flew out of there, and I just happened to catch that? Mm -hmm. And I, I, So I ran back to my wife and just told her exactly what happened in my dream just happened to me. And she's like, that's amazing. So being uh, being a medium, uh, I'm a, I I speak to spirit. I speak to uh, what we would refer to as archangels, not uh, not just regular spirit. Uh, but in some of the abilities that I have, they have tell me they've told me when others something else would come through, like I'm able to do something called remote viewing, but I don't have any control over it. But when I told them about when I asked them this question about the bowl of cherries moving, and when I asked them that, uh, as they say, whenever I get an ability, something else just comes along with it. Like when you order cable for your TV and then you get extra channels, well, these extra things come through, and I'm able to do that. Uh, but I, it's only happened one time, but I've asked them about it, and they say, they, they keep telling me they want me to go into meditation and practice this, like taking a spoon and bending a spoon or just focusing in on working with my mind to, to do these things. Do you, so is that part of this? Uh, is that yeah, that, that's, that's magic. So that, yeah, that's part of the in-between world. And that is um, the whole notion of telekinesis, which is what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, that, um, there are many people who say that that this happens. I've never seen it happen, but you've seen it happen, but I've never seen it happen. And yeah, it's, it's, in, in it's many scary, different it me out, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It me yeah, a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. It would freak me out. Yeah. Uh, anybody who's not freaked out by this just doesn't have uh, imagination and doesn't have a state of mind that is useful. Um, so um, I think that it is really important to um, to see if you want to practice this and if you want to develop this, if you want to develop um, telekinesis, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to um, because it, it's not what interests me. And incantation can mean many different things. You can, incantation doesn't necessarily have to be about magic. Um, it can be um, that you can do an incantation for healing. You can do an incantation of change that you want to have happen to you because it's a chanting, right? Incantation and chanting yeah. comes together. And so it is something to use power, but it depends what you want to use the power for. And yeah. for me, it is always as it was for the alchemist that it's about healing. Yes. That if you can use that power for healing, then that is a very yeah, and I believe that's what they want me to do as well as that. So uh, yeah, yeah, I get mm -hmm. uh, I get touched for yes and no answers. I, and as we're talking about this, and you just mentioned healing, that I just got touched for a, 
I guess touch for certain yes and no answers, and they just touch me for a yes. yes. Because the yeah. interesting thing about alchemy, of course, is that uh, most of the alchemists were uh, physicians, and they used it for making medicine. And their goal was to make what is called the panacea, which is the the um, universal medicine, the medicine that can heal everything. And so they were in search of that. And they called that red sulfur. So the book Red Sulfur that I wrote is also about the universal medicine. And it's also about um, uh, the plague because it's a period of the plague and the plague is still very active. And uh, the alchemists are looking for medicine for the plague. And so it's very similar. I wrote this long before the pandemic, but it was it's very similar to what we were trying to do at the beginning of the pandemic, this mad rush to find the medicine, to find the cure, or at least to find the vaccines. And um, so that is also in the book, but just 400 years ago, where it was an alchemical quest, and now it's more scientific quest. Now, do you believe uh, because they are doing that, uh, they are looking for, I, I believe if we're going to, if we're going to help cure people, we should actually just help cure people and not just uh, help find a vaccine or some type of medicine just because we want to make some more money for it. Uh, oh, absolutely. But that's always the case. Um, yeah. if, you do, if you do things for the wrong reasons, then um, it can still be a good thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But the outcome right. of it can still be very good. If we can find something that can trigger the immune system to defend us against COVID, I think that that's a very good thing and I'm all for yeah. it. But if yeah. there's somebody that on the basis of that wants to make a lot of money, then I think it's a problem. It's like what the Sacklers did um, with OxyContin. Um, it is a good thing to help people uh, uh, reduce pain. But if you then create one of the biggest uh, epidemics of uh, addiction just for the money, you've done something evil. So right. you have created something that may be useful in a certain context. But if yeah. you made money, it always becomes a problem. Um, so you, uh, so uh, back on the uh, on the uh, plane of magic here. Uh, can you give me some examples of magic in your own life and also in indigenous cultures? Um, well, uh, as I said, I am not a big uh, a big fan of magic. I am a fan of. Um, uh, letting these forces work on you and have a healing. And um, in my life, it has had a lot of healing effects. I have, um, um, I've had illnesses that were cured by um, working with dreams and working with them very intensely over a period of years. So yes, I have. It has had enormous influence on my life, which you could call magic, which. Um, the physicians are still calling very unusual because something happened to me that actually shouldn't be happening to me. Right. And lots of, and lots of people have that. Um, so if you call that magic, that's the kind of magic that I'm talking about. Sure. Magic of, um, of creating healing responses that were not there before and that are unique to um, the imagination that we're working with. In that way, uh, these days we're researching it as the placebo effect. The placebo effect is the self-healing response in the body. 
and you can call that magic so that when we take a sugar pill um something can start happening that has nothing to do with the efficacy of sugar and so um but it is imagination and expectation that creates a healing response because the body is like an apothecary there's all these um uh, there's all these substances these healing substances in the body that can be triggered by a placebo by imagination so i find that an important magical uh, thing but to say that um through magic i have discovered the cure for cancer no i haven't and um through magic i have gained power over other people no i haven't so um but um we have used it extensively for healing processes yeah because uh, in the uh, placebo effect basically what you're doing is you're taking a pill and you are without a doubt 100% believing this is going to work and this is what's going to help you. And as long right. as you're putting that much thought into it that it's going to work and that much faith in it that it is going to work, then possibly it may work for you. Yes, and it works with about one third of the people and two thirds of the people that may not work. But um, I think that... Um, uh, placebo th uh, studies have been very interesting. People have had um, in the 50s and 60s heart operations that we now know are entirely useless, but people were cured by them. And uh, uh, people had um, meniscus problems in their knees, and then um, they were opened up and closed up again, but nothing was ever happening to their knees, and it cured right. their knees. So, yeah. Yeah, so um, there are these things that we call magic that are based on imagination and faith. Yeah, and and, uh, and as you were just saying that uh, uh, it may take effect for some people, but it may not take take effect for other people, which is in the case of everything. Of uh, everything. Yeah, you could take a medicine; it may work because they just put a generalized medicine out there, and right. sometimes it works for some people. And, yeah. <clears throat> so other people, it does not work. I I was taking a a medicine for for me being diabetic one time, and and it said like three percent of the people this does not work for, and now three. And you and were every, three. Yeah, yeah. Every every, uh, every symptom that you could get for this uh, from yeah. this medicine that was in a bad yeah. way was actually happening yeah, to me. That's what happens. Yeah. 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 You just. You just hope for the best for everything. It's the luck of the draw, always. Yeah, you find out. But it's it's with everything that I tell people. You have uh, you have uh, two decisions that you make in your entire lifetime for everything, and those decisions are what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And and finding out what doesn't work for you just takes some trial and error. You're gonna you're gonna have to do a bunch of things that don't work for you before you find out what does work for you. Yeah, so. well, I think that that's the nice thing about getting older, is that you know more things that work for you and things that don't work for you, and yeah. that you can live more efficiently that way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it it just takes, like I said, it just takes some time to figure those. It things takes out. experience, absolutely. Yeah, experience absolutely. is very yeah. important. Yeah. And but you're not going to figure them out unless you give it a try, correct? Absolutely. I mean, yes. Yeah, you kind of uh, well, not everything. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. There, there are things that you shouldn't give a try. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I, I agree. I just, I, I see it from other uh, perspectives of other people going, "Oh, this is the most wonderful thing in the world," and I just go, "No, that's, that's not, not for me." That's the most. Yeah, again, uh, uh, especially uh, within the, uh, uh, with, with, har with harmful drugs that are just. 
not good not good for us here uh, well and then the big problem is that you don't know anymore which drugs are harmful uh, because right. most most of the street drugs now contain fentanyl and if you have a very yeah. fraction of fentanyl in your blood you die yeah but you know un unfortunately we do have some people out in this world who just like to experiment with everything which is a uh, which is i I get I got to uh, see those types of people. I worked in prison for six years in medical records, and mm -hmm. uh, those people in there just want they would be out on road crew and they would find something on the ground and just pick it up and either hide it or they would just take it. And by the time they got back in, yeah, then they didn't know what they took and then they had to describe it. And then by that by that time it was just too late. Right. Yeah. No, and it's it's amazing to see that a hundred thousand and more people have died of drugs every year. That's really yeah. ridiculous. But yeah. anyway, we can people, move on from that. Yeah, people still do that. Um, so let me see. Let me ask some questions here. Um, this is a good one. So why focus on the time when the European ind ind indigenous world uh, worldview was taken over by the science perspective of the 17th century? What, what does it, why does it matter to us now? Um, because we are completely into science. Um, um, so when you, uh, for instance, we were talking about vaccines. Um, if, you, uh, um, if you look at the huge vaccine debate that has been going on, the people who were against vaccines did not roll out their priests. They rolled out their scientists. Yeah. So we all believe in science whether we're on one side of science or the other side, but we all believe in science. Yes. You, you don't call your local priest, you call a scientist. And um, so what, uh, what I think is very important is to realize that by being uh, complete, completely taken over by science, which has basically happened in the 17th century, we thereby lost an entirely different attitude and that is the attitude of participation, that we participate in things, that we participate in this world. We don't just, as science does, we don't just use this world. We don't just use it in a utilitarian way, but we participate in it every day of your life. You are con constantly participating in a world around you and the world speaks to you and you can allow the world to speak to you. And that's the alchemical notion that you can allow the world to speak to you and that it's a, a two-way conversation. Since we've lost that, and since nature is no longer a two-way conversation, but we can do anything with nature that we want, we got into this enormous ecological crisis that we're in now. And so I think the, a shift that moves to somewhere in between, that we use the objective nature, that we use the, the objective nature that creates technology, but we don't use it to the point that we become dissociated because what has happened is that most people are dissociated from nature. They're dissociated from, um, from uh, what we call objects and they become just things that you can manipulate. So thereby you can manipulate the world without really participating in it. And that's something that we've lost. And therefore, I think it is really important to go back to the beginning of that, which is the 17th century, and to look at it from the perspective of these alchemists, from the perspective of that you can still access the creativity that exists in the world and use it 
to make something happen that otherwise wouldn't. As in the sense of, uh, but so, so I think, I believe some of those things that they they try to access, I, I believe they do for, uh, uh, in a wrong sense, where uh, uh, like nowadays, uh, they're talking about uh, chemtrails up in the skies or back in the 60s and 70s when we were in the Vietnam War, they were trying to uh, put different type of chemicals in the war in the air just to uh, to change the weather, uh, so so they could have better fighting uh, fighting times. Uh, but I, I believe they once we got the science, they uh, the unfortunate part of the powers that be or the or the controllers of the world are using it uh, against everyone else instead of using it for everyone else. Well, there's always um, political struggles about everything. Yes. And um, I think science can be abused and science can be used uh, for good things. And um, so it's really important for us to be active in preventing the bad use of science and promoting the good use of science. Yes, absolutely. Like uh, you have a thing here so just about to read. I don't know why it's uh, that just came up. Like it says here, uh, in the uh, 1980s and 90s, you have organized various conferences about uh, ap apocalyptic imagination in politics. Uh, one of them uh, about the potential for nuclear war, another about the uh, ecological crisis, yet another about holy war. Uh, and how does this matter to the study of involuntary imagination, uh, underlying political thinking and events in this world? Um, well, we are deeply influenced by um, the deep imagination, the involuntary imagination. And one of the forms of the involuntary imagination is, for instance, apocalypse. Uh, the word apocalypse means uh, revelation. It's a revelation of a new world to come. And it stems mainly from Christianity. And um, uh, in this revelation of a new world to come, there is the end of the world. There yes. is the end of this world and the coming of another world. Yes. Um, and um, the, it's frequently related to the notion of the millennium. And so I postulated that as the millennium came closer and we're still in a millennial period now because the number thousand is very powerful and we're still in the beginning of the 2000s. Um, the apocalyptic imagination would get stronger. So I um, looked into how the end of the world notions influenced the nuclear issue and um, then about how it influenced the environmental issue. Because if you go from the perspective that um, the world is coming to an end or um, the world is going to come to an end if we don't do something in the next five years, you're going to burn out. You cannot, yeah. you cannot keep that sense of alarm because you're in the apocalyptic imagination. Yeah. Instead, if we can see that there is apocalyptic imagination and there is a terrifying ecological disaster waiting, then you can keep on working on it because you don't mix up end-of-the-world fantasies, end-of-the-world mythology with the dreadful situation that we're in. Because if they overlap, 
the dreadful situation that we're in and and end of the world mythology, then you get under so much pressure that you cannot resolve it. I believe personally that yes, we are in unbelievable ecological stress. Um, I think that in, in Germany, they just found that 70% of the insects are no longer there. So there is a complete elimination, which means that the birds are going to go next. Um, yeah. So yes, so there is an incredible ecological disaster going on, but we cannot we cannot solve it in a few years. This no. notion this notion that has been has been going around and has been going around since the since the Club of Rome in the sixties um, that if we don't do something within so many years, then the world will come to an end. Um, and it's usually they say if something is not done in the next decade. That's what they usually say. Um, and um, I think that the ecological crisis that we're in is going to need attention for the next 200 years. And we need to be able to keep our focus for hundreds of years because it took hundreds of years for us to get into it. So it will yeah. take us hundreds of years to get out of it. And yeah. so if you are too much into doom thinking, then you cannot last that long. We have to train our children that they have to deal with this the way that you brush your teeth. You do it every day and you don't do it in order to um, get much better from it, but you just do it because otherwise the cavities will, um, will increase. So you have to do that for the rest of your life. And then you can separate the doom mythology, which is very powerful around the millennium. You can separate that from... Um, the physical activity that's going to be needed for this ecological crisis that is getting bigger and bigger. So uh, with that, um, how well do you think we're doing right now in this world? I, 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 I myself believe that uh, we had a great planet up until about maybe 120, 130 years ago. And now since we have uh, gone into this oil burning coal burning society we have been destroying this place ever ever since and we're, i just believe we're not doing a very good job i remember back in the in the 70s and 80s you used to see commercials on tv about save the whales or or save the bears or save something but you don't see that anymore we don't we're not so we are they are pushing the only, the only reason they ever push something like right now the president over here wants everyone to go green or or trying to get away from oil and get into electric electric cars and even though they're putting electric cars out there they don't have enough infrastructure to actually support the electric cars meaning ways to char charge these cars up but they still have they still want everybody to to go out and buy a seventy thousand dollar electric car even though they can't afford it. I, I think that the issue is is they are sometimes they do these things in order to to just put their own agenda forward. Uh, I, yeah. don't, I don't believe they're always trying to save us. They're just trying to keep us going out there and spending a lot of money, yeah. which is actually yeah. not doing anything. So let's let's go let's go back to the first thing that you said. The first thing yeah, that you so said was that you, 150 years ago things were better. Yeah, uh, 150 years ago you and I would be dead. Yeah. Okay? You and I would be dead because we, we're over 50. 
right? Yes. People, if you, we had then a life expectancy of maybe 50 years. Now we have a life expectancy of like 78 or 80 years. Yes. It's a very big difference. So there are good things and there are bad things. We're yeah. feeding more people now than we've ever fed before. So there are good things and there are bad things. So we cannot just stay onto one one thing. It's It's both happening. We are, there's, more and more people are being born, but we're also feeding more and more people. There, there are more and more diseases that are happening, but we're also curing more and more diseases. So it's happening from both sides. So I always find it difficult to go at it from one perspective only. Sure. Sure. And um, so, and and for instance, with the electrical cars, if we could create more solar power and all those kind of things we could feed the electrical cars that way but it won't happen overnight the whole no. thing that i'm talking about is that if you are in a sense of doom the world is getting worse and it's getting worse and worse and worse and we're going to the end of the world then you cannot do something that is needed to be done continuously over a period that's much longer than one human lifetime yeah but I, I believe so i believe uh when we started uh uh, down this path of, like I said, using oil and uh, using coal, we should have also had uh, other, other impl uh, implementing other ideas of as well, so it wouldn't destroy everything at the same time too. We were just well, we we didn't know that we were in yeah. the industrial revolution, and the industrial revolution was a very important thing that put a lot of people to work, but yeah. it also put sent a lot of people to the coal mines, and they got coal dust in their lungs, and they died that way. Yeah, everything has has different elements, and yeah, we didn't know that we were destroying the world the moment that we were starting to use coal. No, we didn't know that. Yeah, and we uh, and now we're at a stage where uh, they're trying to force things down us. Where it's and uh, okay, we got to do this now and stop all that. But we have to learn to figure out how we can ease into it and not mm -hmm. just stop one thing at a at a time because it's too much of a uh, it's too much of a, st a stress and a struggle on everybody to try to completely turn from one axis to another axis yeah. on doing one thing and then doing yeah. another. As long as, long as um, the, slow, um, the slow movement, which I agree with, the slow movement is not based on the fact that um, people think that we are not in an ecological crisis. We are yeah. in an ecological crisis Absolutely. that is very, very dangerous and that needs to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed for the next 200 years. Yes, absolutely. We get, it's there, like like uh, as I always tell people, there's there's no quick fix pill that you can take that's going to make you absolutely drop hundred. Not. You're not going to drop 150 pounds, you know, no. uh, by going on. Everybody wants to be on the quickest diet they can, whereas I tell them the only diet you can ever take that's ever going to work is eat less and move around more. That's it, and it absolutely. takes a long time. It just you have to be able to want to go through that. And that's what we have to do. We have to want to go through it, and we have to all want to do it together uh, instead of being at opposite ends uh, because opposite ends just never works. Like having two magnets, they just can't say, hold the same space where they, mm -hmm. we all have to work together, but we all, we all need to learn to work together as well. And uh, even though the narrative out there, 
wants us to think they are they are telling us we should all come together, but they still throw little bits and pieces out there so we stay. Opposite. Oh, we're we're further we're further apart than we've yeah, ever I, been. I don't I don't so, think we've ever been yeah. more further apart in our right. in our mm -hmm. in our existence. Yeah. And that's why I think it's important to go to. Um, uh, to think um, in ways that people have thought in other eras, in other periods of time, because what is happening now is that everybody's basically repeating what the other person says and yeah. or they're against what the other person says, but everybody is basically saying the same thing that yes. from one side or the other, but everybody's saying the same thing. That's why I think it's so important to immerse ourselves in another era to immerse ourselves in the time, for instance, the time of alchemy, where the thought systems were different and where people lived different lives. And these different lives were very creative and very rich. And I am showing in my novels how rich they were and yeah. how much uh, we can learn from them and how much we can find in those worlds a new vision for our own. Yes, absolutely. Yes, uh, we need to. Uh, we need to. Uh, someone needs to be out there building the the, the newer and better mousetrap instead of trying to continue the same with the go along with the same mousetrap, but just is is no longer or, or to create a different relationship to mice altogether. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because mm -hmm. we don't need to be trapping mouse mice all mm -hmm. the time. They're not mm -hmm. so bad. We just uh, we we we. We've made it look like everything is, is bad, or they have made it look like everything is bad. Because uh, I always I like to talk about they all the time, because you know who they are. They tell you one day that you should eat eggs, but they tell you the next day don't eat eggs because they say mm -hmm. eggs are bad. But two weeks later they want you to eat eggs again. They are uh, they are programming us, unfortunately. Uh, right, but I I usually talk about we um, because we are part of it. Yes, um, I think that the us and they no, separation doesn't help very much. I yeah. think that we are part of, because it's the spirit of the time. Yeah. That's why yeah. I think so. it's so important to step out of the spirit of the time into an other spirit of the time, which, for instance, would be alchemy as I look at it. Um, yeah. I'm, have to, I'm going to have to stop very soon. Any questions, other questions? Yeah, sure. Just tell everybody uh, where it is that we can find your books, and where it is that my guests, my my uh, my audience, can find you, so they can find okay. out more about what you do. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, the book is called Red Sulfur, and okay. sulfur is written S U L P H U R. That's the old spelling of sulfur. Red Sulfur. You can find it at Amazon, and um, the website is Red Sulfur Saga where you can look at the book and you can um, see excerpts of it and you can see the trailer of it. And um, for people who want to learn more about alchemy, they can go to jungplatform.com, which is written J-U-N-G, J-U-N-G as the psychiatrist, uh, J-U-N-G platform in one word, .com, and then look me up, Robert Bosnack, Robert Bosnack, and I'm a teacher there, and you can find all my teachings about alchemy. I hope that people are interested in um, uh, uh, listening and reading. You can also find it on Audible, so you can also listen to it. Um, this, uh, this book that 
gives you an impression of what life was like then and how science fiction worked then and how um, how they were able to change the world then because we can learn something from it, how we can change the world now. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm absolutely interested. Uh, I will have my wife read the books because I'm not a book reader. Oh, oh yeah, good. She loves to read books. I mean, oh, it will change though, uh, her dreams. It will change yeah, her even, dreams. Even though I myself just wrote my first book, uh, but uh, uh, the only book that I've read recently is my own book because I had to make sure everything was correct in it. But oh, that's uh, good. But, that's uh, good. Glad but absolutely, yeah, I will have her uh, check those out so so she can read the books and then she can tell me what you were talking about. Very <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> good. Easier, you know, when someone can explain it a little bit better because I just don't, you know. I don't pick up on things like that like she does. But uh, that's great. I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you very uh, much for having I'm me. Absolutely uh, thrilled to have you on here by listening to what uh, what you talk about. Uh, and and I've, I'm just sitting here listening to you, completely fascinated by what you, by by all of that because uh, I had no idea. I I I, I Googled uh, alchemy, but uh, but it just talked about. Uh, magic, but you don't bring it up like magic. No, you, no, you no, no, bring no. It, you're talking about the natural true of uh, the natural true world uh, within right. nature itself, and and that's not magic. That's just that's just amazing, is what it is. But uh, yeah, it, 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 uh, alchemy was science before science. Yeah, yeah, we just we just had to call it something, right? Because we have to call everything something. So uh, <laughs> yeah, all right, Robert, I appreciate you. Okay, it was a pleasure. Oh, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thank and, you for uh, having and, me. And I hope everyone out in my uh, in my world here listens to Robert and looks him up, and because uh, he's an interesting guy and an interesting person. And I love your accent; I think it's great. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Uh, so, uh, I hope everyone has a great day, and thank you for joining us here on uh, Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson, me. And as I always tell everybody after the end of our show, uh, be good and don't do any stupid shit. Have a great day. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. This was Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson with Robert Bosnack. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any episodes. For more information about Robert, please visit him at www.redsulfursaga.com. R-E-D-S-U-L-P-H-U-R-S-A-G-A.com. His books are available on Amazon. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time on Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson.